Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, a show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. Now, in the spirit of aiming high in 2022, I wanted to have my coach, Lisa Larder, back on the show to talk about what's possible and some strategy and mindset for getting there. Welcome back, Lisa. Thanks, Jane. Good to be here with you. I always love having these conversations with you. Me too. Especially because I never know what you're going to ask me. I know. It's a surprise for everybody. We do not script our podcast. I don't know if you do that on your podcast. Do you just like throw out some questions and see where it goes? Yeah. yeah that's the I most actually fun. get my assistant to go try to find something out about my guests that I might not know so that I can oh. ask them like a surprise question. That's really good. I like that. Yeah. I doing that. Well, start for everybody with your background and lead us forward to kind of where you are in your business today. Sure. So in 2006, I left TELUS. I had a national scope of responsibility for corporate retail at TELUS and I opened my own TELUS dealership. And I opened my own TELUS dealership because I really wanted to, it's kind of a really long convoluted story, but I really wanted to help business owners. And I felt like, who was I to help business owners when I had never really run a true small business myself? So I thought that I would you know, open this bricks and mortar store that I could not fail at because of course I knew the wireless industry inside out, upside down and backwards. And within 60 days of investing several hundred thousand dollars in a bricks and mortar store, I had my first consulting gig. <laughs> wow. Now, I want to back up and just let our American listeners know that TELUS would be like the Canadian version of what, like Sprint or something like that? Yeah, AT&T, something like okay. that. Yeah. It's like you sure. bought an AT&T store because you wanted to really understand what small business owners were up to. And you grew that store for how many years and how did you leave it? I owned that store from 2006 until 2012. And within the first 12 months of operation, we were generating over a million dollars in retail sales, which is a little bit misleading to say because, you know, in the wireless industry, you go in, you buy a phone and they give it to you for free. So you have to look at your sales reporting a little bit different there because your contracts give your clients discounts. So it's not traditional retail. And then, you know, I grew that business and by I think 2010, I had pretty much become an absentee business owner because I was doing a lot of work in the coaching, consulting and and marketing space. And I knew that this is a really important thing. I knew that if I took my eye off the ball for too long, that the business wouldn't be worth what it was worth now. And then I needed to put a plan in place to sell it because I've sold two businesses. I sold one where I actually walked away with a check Mm -hmm. and I sold another where I walked away with pennies on the dollar because prior to opening my Telus dealership, I owned a small gift basket business. And uh, that was my my first foray into, can I actually build something and make money? Mm -hmm. And I let that business fizzle out before I sold it. And so I learned from that, that the time to sell is when you're doing well, not in the ball right up until sales. That's really good. I'm going to mention that to my husband because he's starting to think about 
uh, winding down. He's got an electrical contracting business. And so he's starting to think about winding that down and he's doing really well. So I don't think he's letting it dwindle, but that's really good. Mm So let's go back in time to you growing up. And did you always think that you would be able to have this kind of success, this kind of wealth in your life? No, never. I mean, I quit high school. I dropped out of high school in grade 12. I grew up in pretty much near the poverty line, I'm going to say. like We did not have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I knew how to make money. I've always known how to generate money, but I wasn't really good with money until I got into my mid twenties and met my husband. And when my husband and I, before we were married and we decided we were going to live together, my husband wanted to buy a house. He didn't want to rent. Right. Well, for me, the thought of owning my own home was, was not something that was ever within reach For me, it wasn't something that I even thought was possible, but because my husband was more responsible with his money than I was with my money, we were able to buy our first home together. Mm -hmm. And then something interesting happened. This guy that he used to work for when he worked for Consumers Gas, his name is Alex, and he was trying to pay off his mortgage by the time he was 40. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, oh my God, people do that? That's a thing? How do you do that? I want to do that. And so so I think it was just, you know, being exposed to other people that were doing things that I had never been exposed to before that made me go, oh, I'll have what she's having. I want some of that. (laughs) And, you know, that's what I think uh, we have a benefit when people come into the wealthy speaker school we have little competitive things going on and that gets the juices flowing. And then somebody says, oh, I just booked my fill in the blanks. And then they're like, hey, okay, so that's possible. Mm -hmm. I really love talking about what's possible, especially our side. Well, you and I are Canadian. You have a property in the South as well in Florida. And I spend a lot of time in there winter, may have one at some point in time. But one thing that I've heard here in Canada is around what the fee barriers are. Oh, clients Mm -hmm. will not go up to here or up to Mm -hmm. here or up Mm -hmm. to here. And I would just like to say, no, the all bets are off to that. I'm sorry, friends. I have a Canadian former client who just came on to the CAPS conference. I think you participated in the CAPS conference. That's the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers and books at like $15,000 every speak. And I'm like, ta-da, there you go. It's happening inside Canada. It's happening all the time. What do you think about people putting limits on themselves? Well, I think that people do put limits on themselves and that's okay. Don't let them put limits on you. I still remember the very first day I was going in to pitch my services to a client and I had gotten some great advice from our friend, Michael Hughes, who's part of CAPS, as you know. And Michael said to me, Lisa, the time has come for you to stop billing by the hour. You need to create a half day and a full day package. So here I am, I'm all equipped and I go in and I've got you know this offer. But that morning before I went, I saw another woman that I know and I asked her, what do you think of my package? And she looked at me and said, well, 
I think you should be charging half that if you want to get any business in this market. Wow. I was like, well, I said, I'm not doing it if I can only make half that because I'm going to help this organization make yes. money. I know I can help them in a really big way. So off I went with my little attitude about what I wanted to get paid. And the client said, well, I'd like to start with a full day. I just have one question. Once we do that, can we buy more? Next. What? <laughs> So I left that session. I went downstairs. It was actually, I was selling to the marketing director of a shopping center. And I went downstairs and I bought myself a bottle of really nice wine. And I went to my girlfriend's house and I celebrated because I celebrated, first of all, because at that point in time, I had just sold the most expensive thing that I'd ever sold in my consulting business. But secondly, I didn't let somebody else limit my belief in what I was worth. And so- I think that there are two two things that you can learn here. One, other people can put labels on what they're worth for themselves, but you don't have to own those labels for yourself. And the second thing is there's tremendous freedom in gamifying your offers. So what I mean by that is you can put a price out there that is higher than you think you can command as an experiment. As long as you're not attached to the outcome. Interesting. Well, it's the attachment to the outcome that gets in the way. But when you actually say, I don't care if I get this piece of business, I call it my PGA fee. Okay. When I'm really, really busy, I will slap a PGA fee on something. And PGA stands for please go away. (laughs) I'm going to price this so high that you will say no. And I will tell you almost every time I've done that, Jane, they say yes. They got the visit. Well, this is now my new normal. (laughs) Completely detached from the outcome. And that's like not just a mindset thing, but it's also an abundance principle from, I'm trying to think, Wayne Dyer. Detach from the outcome. Set the goal high and then detach from the outcome. Where the problem lies is when somebody says, ooh, but I really, really, really want this piece of business. They are attached to that piece of business. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about if I break down this thought model that I've been studying for a few years, let me just give it to you for our listeners. You can write it down and then be thinking about it. It's if you write down on your page C and then a T and then an F and then an A and then an R. The C is circumstance. And so the circumstance might be that you've booked a call with a client. You know, you don't think anything about it. You just booked a call with a client. And then the T is your thought. And if your thought is, I command the fee that I'm worth, like I have full confidence in my value or something like that. If your thought is that, then the feeling that you take into, so the F stands for feeling. So we've got circumstance, C, T, thought, F, feeling. The feeling that you have as a result of that is confidence. And then the actions that you take from that feeling, and this is actually the most important piece, I think, of this model. This isn't how they teach it, but this is how I teach it. You're taking actions, i.e. getting on that phone call with the client from a place of confidence. Mm -hmm. So the action might be you have a phone call, maybe there's a proposal afterwards or something like that. All of those things need to be coming from that one feeling of confidence and then you get the result. So if you're not getting the results, something is going wrong 
So C is your circumstance. T is your thought. The circumstance never changes. It's neutral. It doesn't even matter. T is your thought. F is your feeling. A is your action. And R is your result. You can sometimes even work back from the result that you want and try to figure out what feeling that you need to go into all your actions from. Like I have clients who are taking massive action out there. There's something in their thought that's kind of uh, tweaking that. You went into that. You, I love that you didn't let your friend somehow make you have a lack of confidence when you went into that meeting. Mm -hmm. And you know, the irony is that person went on, the person who told me I should charge less, Mm -hmm. went on to hire me in her business and spend 10 times what that first client did. So that is beautiful irony when you say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So have you ever gone into a meeting feeling somehow not exactly the place of confidence that you needed to be? Can you think of any situations? And I'm totally putting you on the spot here. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I remember I used to have a 90-day coaching program. And when I first started this 90-day coaching program, it was $2,500. And it was basically eight hours of time with me. It was like a little strategy session followed up by like five one-hour calls. And then I moved it to $3,500 because it was way too easy to sell at $2,500. And the people that I was attracting, was they were the wrong people at that price point. But then when I jumped from 3,500 to 5,000, 5,000 felt like a lot of money to me back then. And the first few times that I tried to sell it, I wasn't, I didn't feel confident. I felt unsure. And it was really hard for me to close the business. And then when I took a jump even bigger later on, it was from a place of feeling confident that I was worth more than what I was charging. And the very first time I said the number out loud, it was easy for me to close the business. But I remember that $5,000 mark was a little bit of a wiggly space for me to move into. And even, you know, I changed my, I increased my coaching fees this year Mm -hmm. from $25,000 a year to 50,000. And that's, that's a huge leap. (laughs) And what I realized is that that feels uncomfortable to me. And so what I did in one case is the person who came to me for coaching, I was like, well, I just increased my fees, but because we've worked together for so many years, like I can't, you can't be the first person that I charge that to. That doesn't feel right to me. Talk yourself out of that one. Totally talk myself out of that one. And, but I realized I can sell $25,000, no problem. So I've just changed my approach. And now it's six months for the same price instead of 12 months for double. Oh my gosh. And now it's easy. That's easy. Okay. So I think it's interesting that you went in and not only did you change your thought about it, but you changed the structure and then your thought became it's easy. Right. And then the feeling that you had was confidence, confidence that you could get people what it was that they needed. And for me, when I, I also raised my fees during COVID and um, probably with some input from you and The thought that I have about it is, well, it's only like they get to work with me $15,000 for an entire year, one or two speeches will pay for that whole year with me. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I reconcile it. And in my brain somewhere, I'm actually thinking to myself, 
I'm still pretty cheap. You know what? I did something recently that's kind of similar to what you did, Mm -hmm. but on an even bigger level. Mm -hmm. So I have a client that has coached with me for a number of years. And every week, this client sends me their sales numbers, their reporting, so I can see how their business is doing. And I recently looked at the first year that we worked together, and I wrote down that number, and I multiplied it by the number of years since. And I calculated a baseline of what would have happened in their business if they'd stayed where they were. We'd never worked together and they stayed where they were. And then I added up what they actually did and subtracted the difference. You know what the difference was? What? $2.6 million. Oh my gosh. Okay. When I saw that number, I went, wow. Now that I, when you look at what they've paid me over the years, 50,000 for the full year idea, I mean, it doesn't matter. But I mean, that's what I look at when you're hiring a coach, you look at your overall sales and where you want them to go. And I know this is really hard. But I think you need to make the decision from the place as if you're already there. Yeah, you have to make the decision based on where you want to be, not where you're at. Right. And I do the same thing when it comes to hiring. So if I'm hiring somebody on my team, well, if I'm working with the budget from where I am right now, Mm -hmm. then it's not going to make sense. But if I say, I want to get to here, then I have to invest in order to get there because I need the resource to pull the revenue. So it's the same, same kind of thing. Cause I feel like sometimes we have to play tricks with our mind because like even today I went to order inserts for my, my planner and it was $15 for, you know, 25 pages of these note things that I like. And then it's a $9 shipping fee. And I'm looking at, I'm like, Oh, $30 plus $9 for shipping. That's a lot of money. Maybe I shouldn't buy these. And then I caught myself. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you, Lisa? Just get it. You need it. Get it. Right. But you have to learn to catch yourself in the dumb thoughts that you have sometimes. And I think we also have to recognize that when you look at somebody who's doing well, that doesn't mean that everything is easy. It doesn't mean that they don't get caught up in their own thoughts from time to time, but we become more aware of those thoughts. And I think we challenge ourselves to think differently. So you dropped out of school in high school. And you fast forward to your life today. You have property, you have vacation property, you're basically living the dream. Mm -hmm. At what point did you start? So we heard all the way back to, oh, you could own your own house. Oh, you could pay off your mortgage. What? Like, at what point did you start to see what you have today in your life? Was it a slow progression of your mindset, like just achieving a milestone and then catching up? Hmm. I know you've worked with Alan Weiss. I bet you any money he made you think a lot bigger in your life and your business. Yeah. You know, I don't know that it was Alan. I don't know that it was Alan. I think it was other people because, you know, Alan is kind of an anomaly, right? (laughs) <laughs> and so I think Alan, Alan challenged me to price my services higher for sure. Alan challenged me to travel and indulge more. So 
you know, in 2019, we went to Europe for six weeks Mm -hmm. and I had booked a cruise for my husband and I, and I like upgraded us to this like ridiculous room as a surprise to my husband. And normally I wouldn't have spent that money. So Alan definitely impacted my thinking, but I think it was more other people that I just saw doing things around me that made me go, oh, gee, that's something I would like. It wasn't necessarily one thing, you know, it was my husband's business partner said, hey, you guys should rent a house in Florida for a month. And so we did. And then when we were down here, they bought a place. And so then I was like, we need to buy a place. And so it's like, it's been all these little tiny iterations kind of along the way, if that makes sense. Well, I love it. And I think that who you surround yourself by becomes very important Mm -hmm. as a part of that. You know, it's a whole group of people kind of showing you what's possible in your life. And that's part of the reason I think our masterminds have recently just blown up, especially our mastermind that gets people to the first 100K. It's called Acceleration Mm -hmm. Academy. We just sold out two and now we're we're starting a third one in March. And I think it's because they're around the same people that are just going for this thing. And we are there to tell them exactly what's possible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder, Lisa, if we don't take it for granted that, well, doesn't everybody do this? Doesn't everybody have a morning routine that starts them out with some sort of positive thought and maybe write down what their goals are all the time and really be thinking about that? Like maybe people don't. Yeah. I think that sometimes we don't recognize how powerful some of those habits are to, you know, setting you up for success in your life and business. But I also think sometimes we make assumptions about other people that may or may not be true. So there's a book called The Psychology of Money. Mm -hmm. And The Psychology of Money is a really, really, really good book. What I love about The Psychology of Money is it talks about when it comes to money, how we make assumptions about how much money other people have or don't have based on what we see. But there's a whole lot we can't see. Mm-hmm. And so I have known people in my life that are motivated by debt. And so they use debt as a way to motivate themselves to sell more, but they create incredible stress and pressure in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody is leveraging debt to support a lifestyle, to create an impression of success that isn't real, other people don't see what's behind the, you know, below the surface. They only see the tip of the iceberg. And so I think that we have to be careful who our role models are because we don't always see the truth. You know, I see people in the online marketing space Mm -hmm. who use top line sales drivers as a sign of success. I can tell you my store did over a million dollars in sales, but I can also tell you that the net profit in that store was probably like 5%. It was terrible. So, you know, I think that it's important to have open, honest conversations with people, but I think you also have to be a little bit mindful that sometimes there's a lot of marketing stuff that goes on that is to create a perception and that perception isn't reality. I've coached people that brag about top line revenue and privately, they don't have any money in the bank. They're not even paying themselves. So I think it's important that 
you're looking at what does true wealth mean to you and how do you build it for you? Like, I don't, I'm not looking to, you know, we talked about Alan. I I don't aspire to drive a Rolls Royce. It's not my thing. Me neither. But if it's your thing, then go for it. Yeah. But I think it's important that, and they talk about this in the book, the psychology of money. It's important that you don't move the goalposts. If your idea of wealth is I'm going to be mortgage free and I'm going to have X amount of money in the bank and I'm going to have Y amount of money invested and I'm going to you know generate Z in passive income to support my lifestyle, then that's great. If you end up accumulating more, that's great. But just because you paid your $500,000 house off doesn't mean that you need to go buy a million dollar house. Right. It's, you're chasing what you think you should have instead of you know, getting clear on what it is you want and then being happy that you actually have it. Yeah. I think there, there's a couple of things in there about making money, but also learning to have money, to keep Mm -hmm. money, to build wealth. That actually didn't come into my possibility matrix (laughs) until probably about five years ago. And I went, hey, wait a second. Yes, I'm making a really good living, but right now I just have a really well-paid job. And so I started thinking about actually taking chunks of that money and keeping it in the business and investing it and things like that. And that is a whole different, that's a whole different ball of wax. And you're right. Knowing what's going on behind the scene, you know, you see the person in the private jet, but then you don't see how much debt they have on the other side of things. Right. Right. And like, I would rather have a $500,000 business that's 80% profitable than a $5 million business that's 5% profitable because the bigger the business is, the more work goes into managing it. And so I just think it's great to have examples of success that inspire you, but it is equally as important to know yourself and know what it is that you want for your life. I don't want to run a $20 million company. I don't want to work that hard. And I don't. And up until just recently, I realized that I knew there was a thought rattling around in my head that wasn't serving me in terms of getting to a seven figure business. That's my goal. And so I had this coaching call the other day with my coach, um, one of my mindset coaches, and we came up with the question, how can I make moving to seven figures be easy? And now it's like this massive weight has come off my shoulders. I got started to get ideas immediately on how that might look. And honestly, Lisa, I don't think anything about my setup or team has to change. Actually, just think it's a matter of us getting a few funnels in place. And if my team, who are all self-employed contractors, needs to hire somebody else, okay, that's fine. Let them hire based on the workload that I'm putting on to them. And so mm-hmm. I that was a huge thing. And I feel as though once my thoughts line up and I come from this idea from a place of confidence then all the actions that I'm taking, you know, I'm going to figure out what the next steps need to be in order to Mm -hmm. really get there. And so, yeah, I would actually even say to you, what would it take to grow a two or three or a $5 million business? Because I think sometimes when we look at where we're trying to get to, 
our thinking changes when we elevate beyond that space. Okay. So if you were thinking about so what do I need to do to you know generate $5 million a year in sales, mm-hmm. all of a sudden your thinking goes to that place instead mm-hmm. of just the $1 million, And that can actually help you surpass the $1 million mark faster. Because if you start to employ some of that thinking now, it's like you're leapfrogging to grow your business instead of trying to get to this point, because you're thinking about trying to get to this point, you stretch beyond the original place. I love that. And you know, immediately where my brain starts to go, and I have to be just so aware of this is, wait, 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 I don't, I don't want to get that, you know, but I start to make excuses and start to backpedal from my goal because what you said put fear into me. And so I think that that's just very interesting to notice my reaction. Like I am not a yes person. Mm-hmm. I am probably by default am a no person. And then I have to work my way to yes. So I'm going to take what you just gave me and I'm going to sit on that. And by the time we have our next coaching call, I'm going to be on board with it. But I want you to know I didn't start there. And I think that that's interesting for some of my clients. I know that the the Ryans and the Kindra of the world did not start out thinking it's going to be easy to make a million dollars. But having someone in their corner saying to them, you know, you know, this is going to be huge, right? We had that with Orlando Bowen gave me a nice shout out when he won this philanthropic, uh, the Peter Legg philanthropic award, who Peter was also somebody that I worked with. Orlando said that I was the one that had him thinking bigger in his life in terms of what was possible. And sometimes, you know, we go into it kicking and screaming, but what if we just sat with it and just said, yeah, okay, what if? Yeah. It's so important to have somebody that sees your potential and that can help you stretch to it. Mm. And you've done that for me over and over again. And I say, thank you so much. And I love watching you and do the things that you do in your business. I love what you just told me about raising your fees. Like that is so badass, Lisa. I just... (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) It doesn't feel it when I can't verbalize it, (laughs) find a way to say it. (laughs) But I like that you kind of figured out a workaround so that your feeling could be 100% confident. And I was able to successfully execute. Yes, yes. But I really like coming back to this whole idea of the feeling that's driving the action when you're taking all the actions. So we here at the Wealthy Speaker School, we know what to do, right? We need to, it's a numbers game. So we need to be out planting seeds, whether it be phone calls or emails or whatever it is. And we need to be following up and making sure that those warm leads don't fall by the wayside, you know, finding out where the conferences are happening and all of that are all actions. But if you are ever coming from a feeling that is not entirely sure, any type of uncertainty, all of those actions are not going to click into place. It's like there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing. So I would say really be going back and checking in on your thoughts to make sure that you're coming from a feeling of strength, a feeling of confidence a feeling of power when you get into those conversations with clients. Don't you love it when your clients say, you know, I'm going to raise my fee. You're like, yeah, okay. What's it going to be? I've never wanted to be the person who thought, 
Ooh, isn't that a little high? I would love to be the person who says, yes, let's do it. You've got the value to back it up. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We check in on that and then, okay, let's go. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would say though, is sometimes your thoughts and your feelings are directly connected to your competence. And so if you look at someone, I mean, Orlando is a great example because he is just a naturally gifted speaker. Mm-hmm. But did you know that Lady Gaga practices every day for six months before she does a big live performance? Mm-hmm. But she makes it look super easy. Yeah. So if you are feeling uncomfortable about articulating your value or you're feeling uncomfortable about how you tell somebody what your fee is, practice. Mm. I have been in my car by myself where I have practiced entire keynotes over and over and over again as I'm driving so that I can feel more comfortable with the message that I'm going to deliver. It's like we think that people who are doing some great, some really great things out there, they're just lucky and that it was easy for them. We don't always see that your thoughts can be grounded in confidence because you practiced and built the competence to be able to do it. And isn't it something about opportunity and... um, Luck is preparation meets opportunity. Luck is preparation meets opportunity and the preparation end of things. So in order to really create a thought that's going to drive serious confidence, (laughs) I think ensuring that you know what your value is... And through that practice and repetition, you want to be a great speaker, get out and speak Mm -hmm. and then speak some more. That is exactly how to become a great speaker. And maybe at the beginning of your career, you might charge a small amount of money, but that is going to be what drives momentum and allows you to be more confident going into the next one. And mm-hmm. the best time to raise your fee is when your client says, wow, I can't believe you were that inexpensive. Or when no. you're sharing the stage with a lot of other people <clears throat> who are a lot more money than you, then you know, hey, I need to bump my fee. Yes. And I would add to that, that if the last three or four times you gave your fee to someone and they said, yes, then it was too easy. It's likely time for you to move the fee up. So I learned that from Colleen Francis years ago. She said to me, every time you quote something, increase the price by 10 to 20%. And I thought, well, I can't do that. That's like too much. But what I can do is after I've sold something successfully three times, four times, I can increase the fee the next time. Because In sales, you shouldn't be closing 100% of your deals. And if it's too easy to sell something, it's probably underpriced. That's right. So if you're not meeting a little bit of resistance, then we need to take a look. There's an author who comes to mind that I saw speak at NSA talking about this fee resistance. Apologies, I cannot bring up his name in my brain right now. But really great point that you're making And let's be thinking about fee rises after, you know, you've sold it a number of times without any problem whatsoever. That's right. When the yeses are fast and furious, it's you're underpriced. Mm, Beautiful. Well, I want to say thank you so much for Lisa Larder. Now, where would people go if they want to get in touch with you, what would be a good first step? And what's something that you might have for speakers that could be a good fit? 
I think they could go to lisalarder.com if they want to learn more about me. If speakers are interested in my work, I would say one of the best ways for speakers to kind of dip their toe in the pond of Lisa would be to go to thoughtreaders.com. And Thought Readers is my business book club. And I think that all leaders need to be readers. Mm -hmm. And when you read you get valuable insights that you can use in your business, but you also learn valuable insights and stories and metaphors that you can use as a speaker. Mm. And so if you're not reading regularly as a speaker and you're not reading a good diverse number of, of types of books, like if all you're reading is how to be a better speaker, you're missing out on being a well-rounded speaker. So that would be you know a place where I would say people should check it out. I love it. What's the URL again? We'll put that in the show notes thoughtreaders.com. Okay. Love it. And I remember when you started Thought Readers and what a brilliant idea. Clearly it's flourished. You've done a great job with that program and I congratulate you on that. Lisa Larder, thank you for being here with me. Just talking about all the stuff, all the fun stuff, money and mindset and thoughts and feelings and so good. I appreciate you very, very much. Oh, thank you. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me back on the show. It's great talking to you. Love it. And for those of you listening in, I hope you will take in some of this information and put it to action. All right. With that, we'll say, see you soon, wealthy speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next-step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.